Good evening. Uh, my name's Joel, and uh, it's my pleasure to welcome you to church tonight. It's great to be in the house of God, and I know most of you aren't actually with us tonight, um, but I want you to know that God isn't limited by the fact that we're not all together. Uh, his Holy Spirit still moves wherever we are, and He's not limited by uh, pandemics. He's not limited by restrictions. Our God is limitless, and He's able to work in and through us, and uh, it's just great to be in church. You know what? I, I, I love that worship time. Um, two songs. I, I, I felt like I could have gone longer, um, just so you know. But... Um, uh, that, that first song we sang just really spoke to me, um, and I'd not heard it before. Uh, just, it it kind of grabbed me, and it said, it's not time to be silent. Don't you dare hide your light. There's a world outside your window, let, don't let it pass by. There's a world outside who needs the hope that we've got. There's a world outside who is fragile and uncertain, and um, we've got something, we've got something that we need to share. So don't let your light, don't dare hide your light. And I love the bridge, it says this, see the world light up one heart at a time. See the strongholds break in a blink of an eye. Death and all our sin nowhere in sight, for the Lord, he is alive. See the lost return from the dead of the night, every captive freed, every chain left behind. Have you seen such a beautiful sight? all the world coming alive. I just uh, let that happen. Let ha that happen um, in our time, Lord, and use us in Jesus' name. Um, it just spoke to me so loudly. Um, if you're joining us for the first time or you haven't been with us for a while, we're in the middle of a series called People of the Fine Print, where we've been on a journey to uncover some of the lesser-known characters of Scripture, if you've joined us uh, in either the morning or evening services over the last five weeks, you've heard the stories of people such as Elijah, Mary Magdalene, Obed-Edom. I'd never, ever heard a sermon from, about Obed-Edom, but we've heard one of those. Uh, we had Shadrach, Meshach, and from Bendigo, um, Deborah and Joseph of Nazareth, uh, people of the fine print. These people of the fine print didn't have the fame or the big stories like King David or Moses or the Apostle Paul. They're not remembered like Noah or Samson or Peter, but God used these lesser-known characters, both men and women, in extraordinary ways. They were often just ordinary people with no position or power. They didn't have special skills or powers they were just obedient to God and to his call on their lives. They were people of faith and they were people who were faithful. Yes, they made mistakes and we can read about it. Uh, and they were less than perfect, but God still chose them and he still used them in mighty ways. What I think um, that is really remarkable about these people and these, their stories is that they were still significant enough to be included in the Word of God. Uh, ordinary people just like us whose stories were used in the Word of God. And God intended for their stories to speak to us, regardless of the size or the 
the magnificence of their story, God used their stories. And their stories played an integral part of the larger story of God and the redemption of his people. Their lives, their stories should encourage all of us to do our part because every single one of us, every single one of us plays an important part in God's plan. God wants us to get involved. He wants to use every one of us to make a difference for Christ in the world. And tonight we're going to look at the life of a guy named Barnabas from the New Testament. And we read most of his story in the book of Acts. So let's have a look at this guy called Barnabas. And um, let's look at his profile for a moment. What can we learn about this guy called Barnabas? We've got his profile slide right there. Yes, we do. This is Barnabas. He may or may not have looked like that. Who knows? Um, the first thing that we really that we can learn um, about this guy that his real name wasn't actually Barnabas, um, if you didn't know that, but his his real name was Joseph. He was the cousin of John Mark, who was the writer of the Gospel of Mark. He was described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. That was how they described him. A good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith. He was generous. He was inclusive because he was always including others in his story. He was most well known for being an encourager, an advocate, which means he spoke up for people. And he was often preaching. Many people came to the Lord through his preaching. And his nickname was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. The Bible says that the apostles had nicknamed him Barnabas. The nickname that Joseph was given here tells us a lot about the character of this guy and what he was known for, as nicknames often do. Uh, And for the sake of uh, the message tonight, we're going to actually play a game. And I've called it Nicknames. Um, And it's easy to play. um, And I want you all to join in. So first of all, I'm going to give you a nickname. And then you're going to tell me who it is. So you can add your answers to the chat. um, And then you can probably tell from their nickname what they are known for. I'll then show you a picture. So the very first one is this. This is the nickname. His royal Annas. Who had the nickname His Royal Annas? You've got a moment. Add it to the chat. His Royal Annas. And the answer is Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Okay. The next one. Let's see this next nickname is Mr. Cricket. Mr. Cricket. I apologize for the uh, for the 80s and 90s um, people here, or 2000s. Mr. Cricket, have you put that answer in the chat? Anyone in the room know who Mr. Cricket is? And the answer is Michael Hussey. Okay, the next one's a little bit easier. The nickname is Crocodile Hunter. Who knows who had the nickname the Crocodile Hunter? 
Add that to the chat if you've got it. And the answer is this dude, Steve Irwin. No, it wasn't Steve Fitzalan, the crocodile hunter. Uh, Mick, uh, Mick Dundee, yes, okay. Thought that. Next one. The nickname is TD Nottle. This is a, a local reference. TD Nottle. Anyone know who this might be? And the answer is Dylan Nottle, here from Door of Hope. There you go. Um, let's just try some biblical examples for a moment. I don't have pictures for these. Uh, who had this nickname? A man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. King David, of course. What about this one? Dreamer. Who had the nickname Dreamer in the, in the Bible? Joseph the, of the Old Testament. What about the sons of thunder? Who were the sons of thunder? James and John. Then we come to tonight's person of the fine print. Joseph who is better known as Barnabas. See, of all the people, all the above people, uh, they got their nicknames because their nicknames had something to do with what they were famous for or what they were known for. That was their reputation. Michael Jordan could defy gravity uh, with his hang time. He could leap for a basket and hang around for about 10 minutes and slam dunk the ball. Uh, therefore, his royal anus. Joseph was famous for talking about his dreams. Steve Irwin was famous for his work with crocodiles. Dylan Nottle can do a great T.D. Jakes impression, therefore the nickname T.D. Nottle. And Barnabas was obviously famous for being an encourager. Being an encourager was what Barnabas was most known for, so much so that other than for his first mention, we only ever see him mentioned as Barnabas, which was his nickname. For the rest of the story, he's only referred to as Barnabas. And he went down in history remembered for being an encourager. I love that he's, he was most known for his good character. The one thing that stood out about this guy was his good character. His reputation was for a positive trait. That was what he was remembered for. I think it would be awesome to be, to be known and remembered like this, that, that people would say of us that we were of good character and our reputation could be that we were an encourager, for instance. What I want to say here is that we do have a choice in the kind of person that we can become. We can have a choice in the type of person that we are known for. The writer of Proverbs wrote these words, choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. Go after a good reputation So be intentional about building a good reputation. Be intentional about it. Uh, be intentional about building good character. So get out there and love one another. Serve one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. 
encourage one another intentionally. It's those one anothering traits again. And essentially, this is about being like Christ. All of those things were Christ-like traits. And we should choose to be like him. And we can be like him because the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. So choose your reputation. How do you want to be known? How do you want to be remembered? Barnabas was remembered by his encouragement. One of the things that strikes me most about the story of Barnabas is this. Of all the references to Barnabas, and I counted 32, the vast majority of those references mention him as Barnabas and, or and Barnabas. When Barnabas is mentioned, it was always, or not always, it was usually with someone else. When, uh, let me just refer to a couple of passages. Uh, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And I thought about it for a moment. I couldn't think of anyone else in all of Scripture who had this kind of ongoing partnership going on. Can you think of anyone else in Scripture who had the Barnabas end or the end Barnabas thing? James and John, maybe? If you can think of anyone else in all of Scripture, let me know. But for Barnabas, it was always Barnabas and, or and Barnabas. For Barnabas, it was Saul, who later became Paul. He was also mentioned alongside John Mark, who was also known as Mark. So what does this say to us? That Barnabas was mostly mentioned with someone else. What, why is that significant that Barnabas is always mentioned with someone else? I think it's because there's something very powerful about doing life and ministry alongside someone else. When I look at Barnabas' story, it's not insignificant that Paul and Barnabas were mentioned in the same breath. The, the Holy Spirit even called them together. Together. He could have called Paul on his own. He could have called Barnabas on his own, but he called Paul and Barnabas together. So we don't know all the details of their friendship. What we do know is that they ministered together for a number of years. We know that they both did a lot of preaching together. We know that multitudes of people found salvation under their ministry together. We know that the church grew under their ministry together. And we know that the Christianity spread throughout the world because of their ministry together. I try to imagine what happened in the background for Paul and Barnabas, the stuff that we don't read about. How is it that they worked so well together? How is it that their ministry was so effective together? I think maybe initially Barnabas was a kind of a mentor to Paul uh, and that they became great mates. I imagine that they encouraged one another and that they prayed for one another. I imagine that they were able to share together on a deep level. I imagine that they, were, they had accountability, that they were able to sharpen one another, as uh, Proverbs talks about. 
And once they parted ways, they found other guys to walk with and to work alongside. Paul had Silas and Timothy, Barnabas had John Mark, and there were probably others that we don't know of. What I want to say to you tonight is that we could all have a Paul or Barnabas to walk and work alongside. Someone who we can encourage and someone who encourages us. Someone who sharpens us. Someone we can be totally open with. Someone who will pray for us. Someone we can call on when we're hurting or we're in need. And I know that we can have that with a partner, with a spouse, with a relative. We can also have this kind of intimacy with God and his word. But what I'm talking about is a friend. Or friends who build into your life and that you can build into their life. It's a multiplying ministry uh, of all those people around us. One of the things that I'm learning most in this season of my life is how important these kinds of relationships are that I think that we all need. Even Jesus had three guys and then one friend that he was closer to than the rest of the 12. These days I'm being a whole lot more intentional about the people I build my life around. I'm finding mates that I can walk alongside who I can encourage and build up and who can encourage and build me up. Friends are who I am regularly praying for and keeping in regular contact, even with unchurched guys, because they also add value to my life and because they matter to God. And I actually want to share the hope that I've got with them, so I I am intentional about the relationships that I build. I want to ask you, do you have a Barnabas in your life? Or are you a Barnabas to someone else? Do you have mates who you are walking alongside and are you building them up? Are they building you up? Are they helping you to grow? My encouragement and prayer to you tonight is to find at least one person that you can walk alongside, one person that you can connect with. You know what? You can pray that God will provide someone for you like that. Or it might be uh, someone's. Then start by reaching out to people, uh, preferably of the same gender, because it gets complicated. Uh, Invite that someone to go for coffee or for a walk. And if you find connection, continue to catch up. I found that God brings the right people into your life uh, and he keeps doing it. And sometimes these, these people are just for a season and sometimes they are for life. But be intentional about building these kinds of relationships because um, it makes a difference. How do we view the life and work of Barnabas? Was he a hero or just a sidekick? Would he have made the Bible characters Hall of Fame? Now, I know these questions don't really matter, but I've got a point here. Um, If we were to judge Barnabas by worldly values, we certainly wouldn't view Barnabas as a hero or in the Hall of Fame. Paul would, and Mark would. They wrote books of the Bible that were included in Scripture. We still read their words 2,000 years later. And Paul was a famous apostle. 
but Barnabas sort of just fades away in the background. I asked a couple of people today if they knew who Barnabas was and um, they didn't really recall who he was. He's sort of an unknown. If you were to survey a cross-section of people across the world right now, churched and unchurched, my guess is that many would know or know of Paul and even Mark. But Barnabas, probably not. My point is this. Was Barnabas' role any less significant? Does God see his role as less significant than that of Paul and Mark? By, by worldly standards, probably yes. He was less significant. He wasn't as famous. He certainly didn't write sections of the New Testament. But let's look at what Barnabas actually did. Before Barnabas, the Apostle Paul was called Saul and he hated Christians. He hated them and the message, their message about Jesus so much that he set, to destroy, set out to destroy the church by killing Christians and throwing them into jail. But Jesus got hold of Paul, or Saul at the time, and, he, and Saul was dramatically converted to Christianity. His life was transformed so much that he, that he immediately started preaching the good news about Jesus Christ. A dramatic transformation. The trouble was people didn't trust him, such was his reputation as a Christian hater. And the disciples didn't believe him either. It says in Acts, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the, uh, the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Paul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So Barnabas enters Saul's life and puts in a good word for Saul. He lends Saul his credibility. He stakes his reputation on Paul's conversion being real. And because of Barnabas, Paul is accepted into the church. What follows for Paul is a remarkable journey that includes Barnabas for a number of years. It includes multiple mission journeys travelling around different countries. He plants and helps to grow many churches. Multitudes of people became Christians. He was persecuted for his faith in Jesus. He writes some letters to some churches and some individuals that we are still reading more than 2,000 years later. He's imprisoned and eventually killed for his faith in Christ. What a story. That's Paul's story. What about John Mark? He was just an ordinary young man who happens to be related to Barnabas. We read that he is taken along by Barnabas and Saul on one of their missionary trips, but he fails them by deserting them during the trip. It was because of John Mark's failure that Paul and Barnabas later have a huge disagreement and they split company. Just because Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them, and Paul didn't. 
Paul was totally against this idea because of what Mark had done previously. So we read that Paul and Barnabas part ways. Barnabas goes off with John Mark and Paul ends up with Silas. And Paul and Barnabas become Barnabas and John Mark. What kind of impact did Barnabas have on the life of John Mark? Well, we know that John Mark becomes the writer of the Gospel Mark. We also read that later in Scripture, Paul changes his opinion of Mark. Writing to Timothy, Paul wrote, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for me or to me in ministry. He is useful to me for ministry. Paul changed his mind. Why? Um, I suspect that Barnabas might have been behind that. So it begs the question, what would the lives of Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Mark, been if they had not been connected with Barnabas? Would all those churches have been planted? Would the word of God have been spread to places like Ephesus or Antioch or Corinth? Would we now be instead reading the gospel of Nathaniel or the epistles of Ben if Barnabas didn't come along? We know that Barnabas did a lot of preaching and teaching and that lots of people came to Christ because of Barnabas. We also know that he played a significant part in helping to plant and grow churches. But perhaps his greatest ministry was through the friendships that he had with Paul and Mark and the encouragement that he gave to them. And while ministry of encouragement might seem simple, that encouragement made a profound difference in all of history because we're still reading the words, the word of God that was written through Paul and Mark. You know what? We too can play a seemingly, uh, seemingly small role in someone else's life that could lead to a dynamic, world-changing ministry. We don't know. Uh, how, do you, how do you know? Um, but the lives that we touch now could affect thousands of lives in the years to come. Who knows that we live in a world that is fragile and uncertain? This has always been true. The world is full of broken, hurting people who are fighting all kinds of battles. There are many who live in the world without hope or peace. There are many who live in homes and families without love. And their workplaces or schools are places where they, they don't experience love or acceptance either. There is the lonely, the grieving, the depressed, the sick, the poor, and those lost in sin and far away from God. The world is fragile and uncertain. And the church isn't exempt from the brokenness either. The church has broken people in it too. It's hard not to see the fragility and the uncertainty of our broken world these days. It's become even more evident in these past months of coronavirus and in the, um, with the bushfires before that. We could go on and on and on about the troubles of the world, but I don't want to paint too dark a picture because I want to say there is an answer. There is hope, and his name is Jesus. While a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that the trouble always goes away, but he does promise to always be there with us in the middle of it. 
He brings with him love, peace, strength, hope into those situations. And he shines a bright, shiny light in that darkness and we no longer need to be afraid. And what he does, he calls us to actually follow him and to share the love, the hope, and to shine the light of Jesus. He calls us to do that. Here at Door of Hope, it is our mission to be a door of hope through Jesus Christ in a fragile and uncertain world. And we're not called to be spectators. We're not all called to be spectators in that mission. Um, As the paid and the gifted and the important people do their part. No, we're not. Uh, We're actually called to be a part of it. We're called to be agents of hope in this mission, should you choose to accept it. And one of the ways that you can join this mission is simply this. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened. Help the weak, be patient with everyone. Are these words written just to the Barnabases or the Joel Ratcliffe's of the church? Uh, is it to the paid ministry, the upfront people, the preachers, the worship leaders, or the Sunday school teachers? No, they are not. They are for all of us. All of us can encourage. What does it mean to encourage? Here's my definition. Encourage means to inspire with confidence, to give hope or courage, to spur on, cheer on, make strong, hearten. You can see here that part of the definition is to give hope, to be agents of hope. I've thrown my own cheering you on in there, uh, which is my version of encouragement. Um, I remember when I was growing up, my parents were always my greatest cheer squad. I can clearly remember my parents coming to watch me do all kinds of of sporting activities over the years, um, which I did most of my life. Uh, Even into my 40s, mum and dad still came to watch me play competition sport, um, whether it's squash or basketball, to cheer me on. And if me or my brothers did anything in church, like playing an instrument or do an item or a drama, mum and dad were there to cheer us on. When I became a a pastor in a local church while I was at Bible college, my parents changed church to join us and cheer me on each week. Their cheering on didn't always uh, mean that I won (laughs) uh, or even performed well. I think I actually came last or second last in every single running race that I ever ran through my school years. But mum and dad still cheered. Um, What I felt from that, I felt supported. I felt stronger, taller, faster. I felt like I could face any 
opposition or any situation I was facing. I felt that I had someone on my side because they cheered me on. And that's exactly what encouragement does. It helps us to feel supported. It helps us to feel stronger. Like we can face any situation and that we have someone on our side. And we could all do that for people. All of us. All of us can encourage someone. And I know what some people are thinking, because I've heard these things. Speaking encouragement just doesn't come natural to me. It's not how I was made. No one ever encouraged me when I was growing up. That's why I don't do it. This is what I've heard. I don't want to be fake. We shouldn't be just saying encouraging things for the sake of saying something encouraging. It has to be true. This is another one. It's not my spiritual gift. I get it. I get that some people don't do this naturally. But neither did they walk naturally when they first started. I get that some people haven't come from an encouraging situation like I did. I get that not all situations warrant positive feedback and that we shouldn't be encouraging fake encouragement in bad situations. But the word of God still applies to us. And it says this, and let us consider how we can spur one another on. But encourage one another all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. All the more. All the more. And for those of you who don't know how to encourage, my encouragement to you is this. Learn and practice it and make it a priority because it makes a difference. So I'm going to give you a, a quick lesson right now it's, and it's simple. This is, can be your takeaway. Um, as my brothers and I were growing up, my, our mother would often say to us when we were saying hurtful things uh, to or about others, she would say this. If you have nothing nice to say, then don't say it. I think she still says it. And here's my encouragement lesson for you today, and it's the opposite of mum's saying. It's this. If you have something nice to say, then say it. Simple, isn't it? If you think of something good about someone, say it. If you think something good about someone, express it. Don't keep it to yourself. Say it. Text it. Email it. Call the person. Visit the person. Write it in the sky with a plane if you have to, but don't miss the opportunity. It's simple. Thanks for what you did. I love what you did this morning. That was a great message. You know, um, I really appreciate the work that you put into that. Easy, easy, easy. It doesn't need to be a sermon. But take the opportunity. You might not need it, but they do. They might really need it. Uh, and it makes a difference. I'm going to ask the band to come up as um, I get close to the end. The Bible does talk about a spiritual gift of encouragement. This is different than what I'm talking about. This is a divine enablement or empowerment that the Holy Spirit gives some 
to speak encouragement. And not everyone is given this gift. Encouragement certainly comes easier to someone who is naturally gifted with this person, or with this gift. And I suspect that Barnabas had this gift. I believe that I have this gift. And this, the existence of this gift doesn't excuse the rest of us from encouraging one another. Just as there are also spiritual gifts of serving, giving, faith, mercy, we are still all called to serve, give, have faith, and be merciful. And we can all be encouraging, and we should encourage one another. My next encouragement is to you is to find out what your gifts are if you don't know what they are. There's all kinds of ways to do that, and if you're not sure, ask one of the staff, or you can add notes in the, in the chat, and we can talk to you more about that. God has gifted all of us. He's given us all a, all a gift. Uh, those who know Jesus, he's gifted all of us. So use them deliberately. In your area of giftedness is where you will be most effective for the kingdom. Just like Barnabas. The Bible says this about using our gifts. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Again, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak it out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. God's message to us is to use our gifts. I love how uh, Ruth finished her sermon last Sunday morning when she spoke on the story of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And she used this little quip that I thought was great. She said this, this is Joseph. Joseph trusted God for what he could see and did not understand. Joseph lived out a royal purpose in the midst of an ordinary life. Joseph found his true identity in his relationship with Jesus. Be like Joseph. Very clever. Such a good way to summarize her message. Cheering you on, Ruth, by the way that I thought I'd actually create my own version about this week's Joseph, also known as Barnabas, because I think that we too should be like Barnabas. So this is it. This is Barnabas. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. Barnabas walked alongside others. Barnabas encouraged, each, uh, encouraged others a lot. And Barnabas used his spiritual gifts. 
So be like Barnabas. Amen.